In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth. My name is Ben Grant, joined as always by JB. We got a ton to talk about this week. There's news and notes as always. We're going to talk about some of our favorite Argos futures bets that you can place before the season starts, if the season starts. And that's another thing we're going to talk about. Toronto's preseason cancellation dates. Like how close are we to games being canceled? Preseason at this point. But how close do we have to get before regular season games start getting canceled? We'll also have a strike update for you. All of that and more coming up on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. News and notes. A lot of transactions this past week. So first of all, two retirements, one that I'm so frustrated by. So the retirement of uh, Alexandre Chevrier isn't the one I'm really frustrated by. We never got too much of a chance to, to get to know him. He signed with the Argos last September after having played in, in Montreal. Uh, Chevrier from Point Claire, linebacker, a good special teams contributor, but you know wasn't going to be necessarily a difference maker this year. So it doesn't really you know you know move the uh, the dial too much with with that retirement. Uh, on a personal note, I was upset to see the number 47 uh, get retired there and because uh, 47, JB, this was my very first football number in grade nine. Uh, it's one of those numbers, you know what it's like with, with grade nine jersey selection. It was not like there were a ton of jerseys when I stepped up to get my, my grade nine football jersey. And I remember the coach said, you know, what number do you want? As if there were more than like five <laughs> left. And... Uh, and I said, oh, I'd like, uh, I think I said 83 or 11. He's like, well, here's 47. Four plus seven is 11. Yeah. And then that was my jersey for that year. So I saw a special place in my heart for 47. So that's Alexander Chevrier, uh, no longer in the team. And then my guy, James Sample. You remember how excited I was back in 2020 when we signed James Sample because he's a fourth round NFL draft pick, played a couple years with the Jags. And you watch his you watch his Jaguars film, you watch his, his Louisville film. He looked like the prototypical Sam linebacker in the CFL. So I was really excited in 2020. There's no season. 2021, he ends up on the suspended list, doesn't make his way up to Canada. And now he retires. So we will never get to see James Sample and never get to know what might have been as uh, potentially the greatest Sam linebacker of all time. Uh, obviously, I don't think that's the case, but, you know, he would have been fun to watch, certainly. Other moves, uh, some transactions. So Drez Anderson, receiver and quarterback Cole McDonald were both added to the suspended list. This likely means that they just haven't made the trip up to this point. So they've been put on that list. A lot of these transactions are being made to make sure that uh, by this past Saturday that the Argos were under that sort of first cut threshold. They've got a lot of non-counters and they also you know, moved Peter Nicastro, Shaq Richardson to the injured veterans list to sort of make room for that too. Peter Nicastro probably still rehabbing just at the end of the, the rehab of that knee injury from last year, I would imagine. I'm not sure about Shaq. And... Then they had a couple of signings to announce, one of which I'm kind of excited about. So let's let's start with the the slightly less exciting one, but always interesting. Defensive back uh, Caleb Holden, uh, 5'10", 180 pounds, out of Merrimack College. Holden is probably 
really only in the mix as a corner and I think as a field corner. And so, you know, he's he's probably in the mix with the Canadians that have sort of forecast out there fighting for that fighting for that backup job. Uh, Jalen Collins, I think, is probably the favorite to to be that uh, field side corner. And so, you know, maybe maybe Cahoon and Boateng, uh, he'll be trying to fight off. But I think that's probably the only position that that suits him perfectly. The other signing I'm pretty excited about, it's left tackle Kofi Apaya, 6'6", 305. He's been the left tackle for the last few years at Villanova, and he's got some really interesting film. What I like about him, well, you see, actually, right away, as soon as I started watching his tape, I understood immediately what Vince Magri and company like about him. If you look at the guys that have been signed um, whether it's this past year or looking back to Peter Nicastro or even before that, guys that strain through the whistle, that don't give up on a play until a few seconds after it's over. And he's one of those guys. He's very aggressive. He's mean, nasty, not a guy you want to play against. And Magra and company love linemen like that. The other thing that there is to like about him is physically he's got a really interesting build so like you know six six three or five he's not a small man but when you see video or photos of him just standing on his own and you don't have a sense of perspective he actually doesn't look like a very big guy because he's just so evenly and athletically distributed he he looks like a linebacker that's sort of you know if you just saw him standing on his own and didn't really read into his jersey number you'd think yeah that looks like a looks like a middle linebacker and then you see him standing next to someone you realize oh he's no he's a he's a gigantic human being uh, but he moves like that he's just so so fluid in his movement uh, very explosive um really good reach too uh he he can he's great at you know maybe maybe could be a, a step faster uh, you know, with guys around the edge, but those long arms are really helpful. He's got a very powerful punch and I, I love him as a run blocker too. There are plays, there are holes in his game where, you know, that's obviously what they're going to try and work on here. And that's, you know, that's why a guy like him is available. You see all this, this great stuff and his, his highlights look tremendous. But when you watch full game film, you sort of see, you know, why he hasn't been picked up. There are, there are gaps. And so there are plays where it just, you know, he looks a little raw. There's just, it's something's not quite there, but the positives are amazing. And so there's a real potential there. He's probably coming in. He's only ever played left tackle. He had one snap in college at right tackle when they had an unbalanced line. But other than that, he's played his entire career at left tackle. That's probably the spot he's going to be competing uh, in. So we got Isaiah Cage, Dijon Allen in there competing with him. I think at this point, it's very likely the Argos are looking Americans on both tackle spots. So I think really it's just those three guys that are in the mix at, at left tackle. But it's a signing I'm excited about. If we ever get to training camp, it's another guy I'm looking forward to taking some notes on and, and seeing what we got. Let's move on to some future bets. There's some good value out here. JB, I don't know if you I don't know if you know what the sports books are thinking at this point with the strike going on and everything else. There's there's not a ton of action out there, but there's still you can find some interesting prices for the Argos to win the division, and you can find some interesting odds for Grey Cup. So let's start with division winner. Argos right now, most sites are somewhere around the plus 150 mark. And for those of you that aren't familiar with, with how that works, so if you, you lay down 100 bucks, you get back your 100 if you win, plus another 150. 
What's your thought on the value? Yeah, that's pretty middle of the road. You know, there, there's no real value there. I mean, I, I mean, what would be the point of betting it? Really, it's you know, it's it's your 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 payoff is so small. Um, I I'm sure the books are still not super excited about offering CFL bets um, <laughs> because there are various aspects around the league that you know. They don't have injury lists that matter. They, they can start guys and then not start them. And, you know, so it doesn't surprise me that the books are being very um, uh, conservative in the odds that they're offering. That's, that really is not going to bring in much action, but they're not going to lose much action. I think they're still trying to figure out what they have with the CFL. Yeah, there just wasn't a ton of value really anywhere for division winner that I found. But I don't, yeah, I don't like that bet. I do like the Argos to win the division, but I just think, you know, it's it's one of those anything can happen things and you expect the the Tiger Cats, Alouettes, Argos to kind of beat up on each other. Who knows how it all shakes down. They'll be in the mix for sure, but I don't think in the mix, I just don't think plus 150 is enough value there. So I would probably stay away from that one. Now, Grey Cup odds, I do like. So you can find, uh, depending on the site you go to, they really range, you know, from plus 450 all the way up to like plus 650. Uh, plus 600 uh, seem to be the most common. I like that bet because that's basically six to one to win the Grey Cup. There's only nine teams in the CFL, and there's a few that I'm really not even going to put in the mix here. Tremendous value, no? Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I love that. I, I mean, I have... You know, I mean, obviously we're biased, but uh, I, I, even an objective better would suggest that the Argos have a decent chance of winning the Grey Cup. Um, I think uh, at that number, like drop a couple of bills, that that's decent money. Yeah, I, I think I would actually, I would accept probably anywhere up to about plus 500. I think anything less than that is is not worth your while, but plus 500 and up. I, I do like that value-wise, and I think it's just one of those things where the Argos kind of get forgotten about and the excitement that goes around with the other teams in the CFL. And, uh, and you know, there's a there's a lot of anti-Argo sentiment. And so while Toronto fans are very aware of uh, how good this team is and what the expectations are, I don't think that's necessarily the view across the league. So, yeah, I love that number. So, you know, if, if, you're, if you are going to place a wager, I think, again, you know, be sensible, be safe, bet within your limit. You know, you just do it to have, to have fun. You know, you're not looking at this as, as a career, hopefully. And if you are, you should not be listening to us for your advice. But that's our take on it. I would say, yeah, you know, place a little wager on Argos to win the Grey Cup at that number, but stay away from the Argos to win the division. Preseason cancellation dates. We are, by the time you're listening to the podcast, it's pretty likely that the CFL will have officially canceled the Winnipeg-Saskatchewan exhibition game. That's supposed to take place next Monday. And what that kind of tells us, so Monday the 23rd was supposed to be the date of the, the exhibition game. And what we can derive from that is that the league basically wants to have training camp in place five days in advance of the game in order for the game to go ahead. And so if we take a look at the Argos schedule and see how we can apply that same rationale, the Argos first play their the first exhibition game uh, Friday, May 27th. So that means that this coming Sunday, if they haven't at that point come up with a deal, if they're not ready to run out there on the field on, on Sunday, then that probably means that that 
first exhibition game will get canceled. So, you know, you're, you're talking about Sunday the 22nd uh, for practice if there's no deal in place by then. And I know people say, well, that's that's a pretty short turnaround, but it's not like these guys, this is not the same as, as your men's league hockey team when you show up on the first day and you don't know who anyone is or who the coach is or, you know, how this is going. These players have a lot of stuff in place. It's basically like you see with a, a Pro Bowl where you've got guys arriving and you can play a game in, in five days. It's it's possible to at this level. They all, they, you know, they have a, a very good sense of what they're doing, especially this, you know, this Argos team is in a great spot because you have so many returning guys. Five days isn't ideal, but you can put together the most basic vanilla game plans in five days. And that's really all you want to do anyway for preseason because you're just trying to get a, a feel for what you got out there. Yeah, I mean, I, they don't need much time to get going on exhibition game. Exhibition games uh, are, are <laughs> I mean, they're not for most of the players. Like, you really only for a few guys on the bubble uh, to let other teams see their film. Maybe there'll be a practice squad picker up later. Uh, you know, I would say, you know, 90% of the rosters in every team is set. They know who they're going to take. There might be a couple of people that they're debating. So in truth, that's why most guys don't really get that into it because it, it, it really doesn't matter for the majority of people on the field. Yeah, you're not taking a look at this and say, okay, let's let's take a good close look at, at Diverse Daniels yeah, it's not, it's not, in this preseason game. It's not game. tryouts. I mean, everybody's got contracts. The team is set. You're looking at, you know, guys are out there and grinding, trying to get practice squad notice or – uh, you know, potentially sneak on as the ninth defensive lineman. You know, but uh, it's such a small number that that are that are impacted on exhibition games. And in terms of Toronto fans being affected locally, so that second preseason game, which is they technically call it preseason week three, which is it's just it's just a weird mix because of the nine team schedule. You've got to kind of unbalance it, and that's why the preseason week one just has that that Winnipeg-Saskatchewan game in it. But preseason week three would be in jeopardy if a contract isn't in place, the CBA isn't agreed upon by uh, the 29th. So Sunday the 29th, if there's still a strike going on by that point, that means the second preseason game, that's the one that's going to take place in Guelph at Alumni Stadium, that would probably be cancelled. Now this is just our interpretation. The league hasn't come out with a statement uh, like this, but based on reports that we've heard for the Winnipeg Saskatchewan game, that leads us to believe five days is is the expected time. Is it a huge loss if they lose both preseason games? Or, you know, we didn't have a preseason last year. How do you feel about two weeks going by and let's start the season? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I have my my theories about all of this. Um, <laughs> in I'll give you my theory. My theory is the owners offered a CBA that disrespected the player's um, agency, if you will. You know, they basically like, we want it to be longer than normal. We're not going to give you any concessions. We're not going to offer you anything, even, you know, to for optics for you to take back to your membership. You know, take it or leave it. And the Players Association was like, well, you want all of these ads, more practices, longer term, and you know what are you what are you offering us? What can I take back to my membership? You you are painting me in a corner here. So I think the membership is like okay, these two exhibition games, which are money makers for the owners, because the players get paid really sort of a bare minimum 
for those games. So the owners are basically making all the profits from those two games. They're like, well, how about, you know, how about we flush your two games down the, down the, the sewer? And, uh, you know, if we end up just taking the damn deal you offered us, well, we can do that, but at least you lost your two exhibition games. So, you know, from my perspective, I think the players are like, it's win-win. You know, we don't really want the exhibition games. We don't need the exhibition games. We can't say that. We're not going to strike about it. But if we indirectly kick dirt at you for two weeks, well, that's not a problem for us. And so in my opinion, that's what's happening right now. Let's transition into a strike update. And this sort of segues nicely into that. So going off of what you're talking about with maybe missing maybe missing preseason games or at least maybe one preseason game that like this is it's not like the it's not like the owners are going to be fine with that i i can't imagine that's going over very well especially if they perceive that no, to be the strategy I mean, but the thing is the owners have already put their final or you know i, I mean what are the owners going to do are they going to take their final offer off the table you know i i think that you know look they've put their final offer as they said on the table so if that's your final offer well, okay, then two weeks from now, I'll accept it. Yeah, but it doesn't work like that. They can they can pull it. Why can't they pull uh, that offer? Because, like, well, because just the optics of it. Why? Because be- because you're canceling exhibition games <laughs> and you're taking away revenue. <laughs> I know. They can't come out and say that. They can't come out and say the exhibition games were canceled. Therefore, we need to start canceling regular season games. Like nobody cares about the exhibition games except for the owners, not the fans, not the players, not the media. The only people who care are those individual owners. That's that's not that's not a thing for them to be able to do. I just don't think they have the leverage to do that. They're not to cancel regular season games because of a temper tantrum. I think no, I'm saying can like to to change not cancel regular season games, but to to change the to change the the deal to say okay, if you're taking away our preseason games, then then we're going to reduce what we you promised can't, you. You can't argue that in the public. Who who's going to back that? Who's going to be like, yeah, you're right. They lost the exhibition games. Therefore, they should have a worse contract. I, I don't think that's sellable. I, like, but I, they're I, not getting a lot of public backing anyway. No, like, not you, right now. You take a look at... No, I agree. But I, I don't think the owners are going to be able to come out and, and legitimately be punitive about the contract because the exhibition games were canceled. That, that just doesn't have traction. Who cares about exhibition games? Nobody. Yeah, I know, but I still don't see them just sitting there and, and taking I it. I agree. It's a risk. Look, it's a risk that the owners, you know, are like, okay, well, we're going to try and cut you a little bit here. I agree. It's it's a nice little play, but I think the owners have painted themselves into a corner with their final offer. You know, they made a big deal of that. We did a poll on our Exes and Argos Twitter account, a curiosity poll, just to see sort of where our followers stood on this. And it was pretty overwhelmingly uh, favoring the players. So the options were, it was who do you support in the CFL strike? The options were the players, the owners, neither or not sure. And 67% of respondents uh, said the players, only 6.8% saying the owners, uh, 17% saying neither and, and 8% saying not sure. So yeah, sixty-seven to to sixty-seven point three to six point eight players to owners. There's not a lot of owner support here. No, I and I don't, I don't know where it comes from exactly. I think but, the owners overplayed their hand a little bit here. We'll see what the players do too. But 
I think I think the owners played right in the player's hand, and players are just gonna be like, oh la da 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 da, and then two weeks from now sign the deal. I think a lot of people were upset by the way that the owners made this public. So on the CFL website and on CFL Twitter, they basically posted the deal, or at least the sort of I don't know, Cole's Notes version of the deal. And some of it's kind of misleading. I'll get into that in a second. But they posted this publicly. And it was a letter that was addressed to CFL players that they're now posting on the CFL website. And you can still find it there. It's still the lead story days later now on the CFL website, Dear CFL Players. And this is it's basically saying this is the deal that we offered your bargaining unit that they said no to. And it's it's kind of a misleading uh, a bunch of information and series of bullet points. I, and I think a lot of people got upset by the fact that they're bypassing the, the process, that they're going directly to the players with misleading information instead of allowing their bargaining unit to handle this. And so there were a number of fans that I know I heard from on Twitter that were very upset by by that strategy and also by the fact that the owners were making the negotiations public. Yeah, it, it was a look. I I think anytime you take negotiations public, I think that's a jerk move. I think that the owners felt that there was not a galvanizing topic. Um, I think they felt that the membership, the players' association, would feel the same way. I think they felt the public would feel the same way. When generally in a labor negotiation, when the management offers the public. Um, breakdown of what's being offered is because they think that it will bust up the union. They think that the membership will find these issues not strong enough to go on strike for. So it it is a power move, right? It is, we think this deal is going to make your membership not believe in you anymore. Um, if you believe right. all the bullet points and take them literally, I get that, but they're they're highly misleading. No, of course they the, and and you know they've they've put their own spin on it, but they, you know they they believed, and are probably not wrong looking at teams around the league. That it's not it's not the type of contract that players are going to go to the mattresses for. It just isn't. There isn't um, there isn't that one issue that's going to unify the membership. So I, I think the owners were right, um, you know, on a purely objective level to to do that. But that's obviously a very kind of aggressive, um, uh, you know, confrontational technique. And so in response, I think the players are like, well, why don't you kick your two exhibition games in Lake Ontario, bro? And we'll see you, uh, you know, we'll see you on the field after that. There are a number of issues that they still have to come to terms on, but it sounds like just based on what I'm reading from Farhan Lauji and what I'm reading from Dave Naylor, basically three things that you're looking at. So one, which doesn't seem like it would be that difficult to hammer out, is the term of the deal. I know initially, like the initial report we heard was 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 10-year deal, and, and I think the most recent one we heard was, was them getting it down to, to six. Uh, But players want a shorter deal than that. Six years is a lot for a sports CBA, especially for football. So much changes in six years. And that's a much longer lifespan than the lifespan of the average football career. So that's a, it just seems like a, 
I, I don't even know how, how serious they are about that, but that just seems like an, an issue they've, they're going to have to get past. I, I just can't see them signing that. I think that's where the philosophical issue came up, that I, I don't believe that necessarily any one of these single issues are enough to to induce a strike or to risk the season over. I think if you are a partnership rather than employee-employer, you know, if you are in this together to some extent, then you hope in the conversation that you're not equals, but, you know, that you are having conversations about, okay, let's do this, you can have this, we can have that. You know, those are the conversations you're hoping to come at from a place of respect for each other. Uh, When the owners kind of bigfoot you like that, then you feel like, well, why, you know, you're asking for this long term and you're giving us nothing. Never mind specifically what, but should have something I can take back to my membership. You know, what what am I supposed to take to my membership about why we're allowing a six-year deal? You haven't given me anything. You've just kind of painted me in the corner. So it's, it's really like an aggressive, I think, um, detrimental attitude towards the players' union. Uh, you know, uh, an unnecessarily confrontational as this league is trying to to get its footing and trying to rebuild itself. It's really, I mean, it's not surprising as somebody who has spent his life, um, you know, negotiating contracts with management, but it is disappointing that the owners can't try and do something a little bit different, give the players, you know, a little bit more respect um, and offer them things that they don't have to. I understand that, but you can because you are a partnership um, at least philosophically, if not economically. The other issues do seem to have a bit more clear give-take to them. Like, I, I guess the give-take in terms of term is, you know, we want a longer deal, well, we want a shorter deal, and you got to, you know, kind of find that middle. With the other ones, like the padded practices, wanting 12 padded practices, uh, the, from what I gather, the exchange on that is, okay, fine, we'll give you those, but in return, we want improved rehab and, uh, you know, treatment and, and medical cost, um, you know, given to us by the teams if we're going to give you more padded practices because padded practices lead to injuries. So if we're going to agree to that, then, yeah, we want to be taken care of better. And that seems like a logical response to that. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how dug in the owners are on padded practices. No, it, it, these are very odd things. It just feels like ego. It just feels like I'm the boss and you're the employee and this is we're going to dictate to you the terms of your new employment agreement and I will see you at camp. And while the own, while the players don't have endless leverage, guys are making rent, guys are making mortgage, guys are taking care of their families. There is a little bit of leverage and it's being used against the owners right now and so it just it just is so all unnecessary. It just didn't have to happen over these issues um you know i don't know why you know why didn't the owner say okay we'll give you that we're going to give you a little bit we're not just going to have six wins like like i would ask ownership what was the win you gave up what win did you give the players in the negotiation and I don't think padded practices is like I, I i really don't like do you do you even think they're really needed at this level no, of course not. They're they're not even needed at the high school level. Like at senior high school, after two years of junior football, you don't need it at the senior football level. 
Everybody knows how to tackle. Nobody, and you get to the CFL after college, everybody's tough. Everybody knows how to tackle. You don't need to bang heads uh, at all. That's it's such a 1975 attitude about you got to be a tough team and you got to be able to bang. It's like, hey, man, you're either a tough team or you're not. You think hitting makes you tough? No. Tough teams love hitting. That's true, but that's not causation. They were tough. If your team's not tough, you can practice till the end of time, and then the hitting is not going to make them tougher. Yeah, I haven't had padded practices in either high school or, or semi-pro for e- years. Right. And there are, there are, you know, we'll wear, wear shells sometimes, but it's misleading to even think of that as a padded practice because we really don't have contact. There's just nothing you're going to gain from it other than somebody like, that makes them tough. I'm like, you don't know anything. You've never coached a team if you say that. The other issue is salary cap revenue sharing and this is this is one that i do think is a big deal especially right now when we're talking about like the cost of living increases and the inflation that is just exploding uh, over the last year and you're looking at salary cap numbers that are really not going up by even close to the percentage increase of of cost of living and that i I think is a big deal especially if we're talking about a longer term so for salary cap Revenue sharing, uh, the revenue sharing part is, uh, that's just not going to get sorted out because, you know, some of the complaints that we've heard from with regards to revenue sharing is that the league's fine with sharing, you know, revenue sharing for some things, but not all things. And, you know, it goes back to the not wanting to open up the books on everything and, and having everything audited to make sure, you know, independently audited so that we make sure that everything's being paid out uh, on the correct percentages. And I just, I can't see that being resolved at all. That's just not going to happen. But the salary cap thing is interesting. And this was one of the really misleading statements that we got from the commissioner that was posted on the CFL website because the way it's worded, and I just want to find it here to make sure I'm, I'm wording it correctly. So on the CFL website, this bullet point says the first of their bullet points when they go to the details of the offer. It says $18.9 million in total guaranteed increases to the salary cap league-wide. That's not... They're not lying. That number's not wrong, but the way it's presented is very misleading. Because you read that sentence, 18.9 million in total guaranteed increases to the salary cap league-wide. To me, that sounds like you are increasing each team's salary cap by $2.1 million, right? You've got nine teams, you're saying league-wide, okay, so divided by nine, that's that's $2.1 million. And you say, okay, so the salary cap must be going from you know 5.2 million to to 7.3 million that's i think how any logical person would would read that bullet point but in fact that's not what's happening at all in fact the salary cap plan would only be increasing six hundred thousand dollars over six years so it's increasing one hundred thousand dollars a year up to the six-year point and with the way that math works because i know it sounds confusing but basically they're saying we're increasing by a hundred thousand in year one 200,000 in year two, 300,000 in year three, and and they're adding them instead of just saying it's an increase of $100,000 every year. Because of course, if you do the math, you say, well, yeah, 100,000 plus 200, 300, 400, 500, 600, uh, that's 2.1 million. And now to multiply that by your nine teams, there's your 18.9 million figure. But it's just, it's highly misleading. What that bullet point should read is 
the salary cap will increase by $100,000 per year over six years. Again, they're not lying. They're correct in that that amount of money will be paid in contracts by owners. But it makes the players and the fans read that and think the salary cap's going up by $2 million bucks, and it's and it's not. And it, most of these bullet points have a, a one-sided element to it because it's contract negotiations. And you would, you would see the same thing, I think, in, in any contract negotiations. No one's going to come out there and say, here's what we offered and give you the pros and cons of, of the offer. It just doesn't work like that. No, I mean, I don't say a pox on both their houses. You know, if I felt like the players were being unreasonable, I worry, you know, don't that they don't overplay their hand um, and start getting into the regular season. Because we've seen that the owners, you know, when the when the pandemic came around, like these are owners that are fine with mothballing the league. We we already know that they have done it. They have crossed that Rubicon. So. You know, I would say be careful to not to overplay, but, you know, the owners tried to play tough, and I think they're going to end up losing their exhibition games as a result, and then we'll, we'll be good to go for the regular season. I think that's probably how it all plays out. So where does this end, or when does it end, I guess? Like, is that your call? You think you think they basically go to the, the sort of uh, day of cancellation for the second preseason games, and then... There's a deal because there aren't even any meetings scheduled from what I gather. I don't think they. I don't think there's anything. I I do. I I do think that that's what they do. I think that the you know the PA understands it's already crumbling. Two teams might not even go on strike. The Alouettes are out there. It, it's already com- crumbling. Like you 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 have to have a galvanizing, unifying argument. You know, you have to be like twenty percent pay cut or you know salary. You know, no Canadians or something. There has to be something. That, that really turns most of the players who are not by nature probably um, terribly pro-labor or, you know, in favor of striking or any of that stuff, right? So I, I don't think membership, I don't think the PA can hold on for long. So that puts a clock on things. And I think ownership um, came in a little heavy and thought that they could... Uh, they could bully the teams, but I don't know. I don't know why uh, why they didn't foresee that the players could certainly last two weeks. They're not getting paid anyways right now, you know, or paid very little for being in camp. So, like, where where is the leverage for the players to sign this deal so they can have more practice? Uh, you know, I think the I think the owners uh, the owners maybe didn't fully understand how the schedule works. My concern for the union is that these are, we're talking about hundreds of highly competitive individuals. You don't get to the CFL without being a competitor. And you look around the league and you've got teams doing individual workouts. But these are individual workouts. They're not being led by coaching staffs with the exception of, of Calgary and, and Edmonton, who you know aren't technically able to start striking until Wednesday. And we'll see... We'll see what happens there. But with the with the other seven teams that are already on strike, you've got video footage that shows up and you're watching Alouette's practice and you're watching Blue Bombers practice. And these are practices being led by very capable veterans, capable veterans who will be CFL coaches in a couple of years time. And so it's not like it, it it's just not like a guy is just running around and and having fun. These, these are, these are CFL practices. They're just not being led by CFL coaches, but 
when other players start seeing that, you know, you're, let's say you're in Toronto, you're, you're there in Guelph and you guys, you're, you're meeting and you're, you're maybe, you know, doing some workouts together and throwing the ball around and keeping fit. And you see footage of, of what Montreal is doing. You see footage of what, what Winnipeg's doing, what Hamilton's doing, whatever it is. At some point, being the competitor you are, you're going to be like, well, you know, maybe, hey, maybe we should up our practices a little bit until it gets to a point where basically you're in training camp now. Yeah, maybe, but they only have to last two weeks. I agree with you. Like if, if you know, if mem- if the PA is looking at this and like, oh, we're not going to make it a month. You, you don't have to make it a month. You basically. But it's only been two days though, and you've got teams talking about not going on strike, and you've got full team practices. They can they can do two weeks. Nobody's getting paid uh-huh. anyways. Well, they're they're getting paid some. Well, not very much for, yeah. for camp. I mean, not not anything that that's going to turn it now now do the owners try and you know punish them and be like well we're going to cost you a couple of game checks i mean that that's the kind of tit for tat stuff that hopefully just doesn't devolve into but i mean that's probably on the table but i i don't think so i think they the pa can hold out for two weeks to to bin that stuff and then you know and then hopefully the owners give them a little something they can take back to the membership and then we carry on with you know with the largely owner-friendly CBA. The last point I wanted to talk about is, uh, and this came up as, as part of the deals that have been thrown around and, and people started talking about the fact that what was proposed is that next year's season actually start a month earlier. So that to me is very interesting. I like that a lot. The idea of starting your season basically right at the, your preseason uh, right at the end of, uh, end of April, uh, instead of at the end of May. And, uh, you know, one more or one less month of NFL interference. I like the idea of that, certainly. I am craving football, certainly, by the time we get to April. So I like that idea. And I don't know if the players would be opposed to that at all. I don't see why they would. I think that makes sense. I, I think it actually makes sense for, for both sides. So I, I'm kind of hoping that that does happen and we do see the season moved up by a month. Um, that work for you or yeah, doesn't no, really I, move the needle? No, I, I like it. I don't, I don't see any issue at all. I always find like we're waiting and it just seems like unnecessary waiting. Like, let's go. Like what, you know, players are ready. They're good to go. Owners are ready. Like why, why delay? There, there doesn't seem to be other than tradition. Like there doesn't seem to be any legitimate reason to not start the season earlier. The only thing that I would see as being an issue is surrounding the draft. So CFL draft, it's better to have the CFL draft after the NFL draft. And so that would be an issue because you would have to have the CFL draft basically a month before the NFL draft. And that could, it, it's, you're not talking about a ton of players, but you know, it, it could impact things a little bit. I just don't think. I, I think, I think, you know, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, I think it's okay. I think I think it's okay. You know, you know if a guy's got NFL potential or if he could potentially be drafted or likely to be drafted. I think I think that's okay. It it probably affects a small number of players that we're talking about. It's it's an issue, but I don't think it's one that is going to you know stop that from happening. Can we just get a regular CFL season in twenty twenty three? Is it too much to ask for? Yes. After a canceled season, a shortened season, and now we've got a strike. Uh, I just. I would like nothing more than for us to go into 2023 my, my only, with nothing. My only concern, and I don't know because I'm not a TSN or Sportsnet or whomever insider, 
my only concern is that there is a hawk owner who's going to take this thing to the bottom of the ocean. Um, and, and try and join the XFL? Don't well, bring that in. Well, no, you know, I don't know. I'm just <laughs> saying that a lot of times in the history of sports labor disputes, it can almost always be traced back to a hawk or two hawk owners who who rallied the ownership and and were basically willing to to let the world burn. So that's my hope. I don't know if there is a hawk owner out there. My guess is uh, our CFL reporters over the next little while are going to start leaking that. Um, if if they really feel like somebody is is has dug in, so I hope that's not the case. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. Thanks for listening. And please, if you do get some time, we'd love it if you would rate, uh, subscribe, review, do everything that you can to help us spread the word and get as many Argos fans listening to this podcast as possible. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see ya. Fight the foe!